Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. So we are back for chapter 14 of Octavia's Parables. I'm Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we are going to, I'm just going to make this announcement again, even though you heard it last week, because um, it's very exciting. The Huntington Library, which holds all of Octavia E. Butler's archival materials, has established a one-year fellowship to go and study her work. And as you know, we love her. She was the first science fiction writer to receive a MacArthur Genius Award, first black woman to win widespread recognition writing in the science fiction genre. And lots of people have actually gotten to be in the archives over the past few years and have come out, have done art projects in relationship to it, have written articles, are writing biographies. It's fertile ground. So if you have a PhD, you can apply and possibly be one of these fellows. So very exciting. Get to Amazing. it. Amazing. The Huntington is fabulous. So go go if you can. You don't have to have a PhD to, to go. You don't have to have a PhD to just go to the Huntington, right? Mm-hmm. I think you can even get permission to just visit, you know, or like yes. visit the archives. Yeah. Yeah, you can. You got to fill out a form, but you can. That's one of my when the pandemic passes activities <laughs> is I'm like, I've been, right. I've been threatening and planning and dreaming of doing it for the past, what, five years now or something. I'm like, okay, I just need like a year. Um, I need like time to really be unrushed with all of her things. But um, all right. So chapter 14, this is a massive chapter. This is the chapter where it all turns, where it all changes. And um, just so you all have it, um, we try to do this every other episode or so. The whole book, the whole series, everything Octavia writes um, is worthy of a trigger warning and a content warning. Uh, A lot of real things are going to happen here. And so we just want you to know that as you head into it. Maybe this chapter is the reason we're doing this entire podcast because we want our folks to be ready. Toshi, will you give us our chapter 14 earth seed? Yes, but first I'm going to give you um, the new year. Yes, um, right. So they've entered <laughs> 2027 and we have, we are earth seed. We are flesh, self-aware, questioning, problem-solving flesh, We are that aspect of earth life best able to shape God knowingly. We are earth life maturing, earth life preparing to fall away from the parent world. We are earth life preparing to take root in new ground, earth life fulfilling its purpose, its promise, its destiny. And there we are, chapter 14. In order to rise from its own ashes, a phoenix first must burn. Earthsea, the books of the living, Saturday, July 31st, 2027, morning. Wow. So I love everything about that Earthseed. <laughs> <laughs> when I first read this, the scariest part was when she said morning. <laughs> like, like, yes. Like, like I was like, 
I don't think that Morning. happens in the book before that. She like no. tells you this is yeah. Let me tell you what time things know. happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's this song that has been moving around in movement that's like we have been burned, burned by the fire, and we are ashes, ashes and dust, and we will rise higher and higher on the wings of compassion, justice and love. And now, when I came back and read it this time, I was thinking about that, that the phoenix must burn and we are the ashes. The community is the ashes. Like what Laura mm. Olamina is taking us into is a period of ashes and dust and being blown, <laughs> blown about. Mm. And it's seven months since the last time we saw them. And, you know, I love that she just leaps us forward. It's like it's been falling apart, falling apart. And now, boom. This morning comes. This what happens, happened. love? Yes. Tell us. Yes. So this is the fall of their community. Um, basically, um, Lauren wakes up from smoke and it is happening. She's runs and gets her, her, her grab pack and go bag. She looks through the house. She sees Corey and her brothers and everything is happening. People mm. are being... People are being shot. People are being chased. Um, they're, the pyro addicts are everywhere causing major yeah. destruction. There's just little fires burning. Um, every every horrific thing is happening to them. And there's no bell. There's no warning. It, yes. just, it just happens. And it's before um, anybody can really do anything, you know, something, a big, big truck or something, breaks down the gate and all of the people are running around just after everybody. It's a terrible thing. And um, Lauren is moving through it, seeing Corey and her brothers ahead of her. But before she can really keep track, it's just so much chaos. Um, She says, "They, they shot us and shot us and shot us. I saw Natalie Moss running, screaming. Then pitching backward, her face half gone, her body still impelled forward. She fell flat Mm. on her back and did not move again. I fell with her, caught up in her death. And this is the experience for Lauren moving through this whole situation is that she is experiencing death multiple times. Um, The death that's happening that she witnesses Um, And then when she has to make the decision to save herself and kill someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, and when she dies, she she, you know, she falls out. And then when she wakes up, she's challenged um, with someone already trying to attack her. So it is a really, really incredible, um, incredibly horrific situation. And she heads for the gate and leaves the community. and even that's a particular journey that, that she has to have. Um, so most of the most of the chapter really describes the fall of Robledo and the destruction and the violence and the surreal adventure of having to go back into yes. the community and 
and see what is there and just see that the community is completely gone and full of scavengers. And so she becomes a yes. scavenger herself in her own community, yes. moving through her own house, um, trying right. to find the things that would serve her and trying to locate if there's anyone um, alive, trying to locate her family and finding uh, two people alive um, that she knows. She finds Harry and Sarah. And this is the this is the turning point in the story. Um, or as we say in the opera act two, <laughs> this is the yeah. this is the part where she really decides, okay, now is the time and makes the jump um after confirmation. Zara and Harry and Lauren basically confirm for each other that they have witnessed their families being harmed, being killed. And this offers this horrible and hard reality offers them the opportunity to make a decision um, on what their next steps will be. Right. So filling in there, I think this chapter brings home like the terror and how preparation, like what is the amount of preparation? What are you practicing? What is your habit? It allows you to still move towards life even when you're feeling terror. And she says that, you know, that she grabbed her emergency pack because she'd been doing her self-training <laughs> of packing it and right. just really moving through it in her mind, in her body. Um, she says, I reacted the way I had trained myself to react. And that feels mm -hmm. like one of the most important pieces of wisdom here of like, how are you training yourself to react to changing conditions? And both, are you prepared? And then can you be present when the time comes? Present against the obstacles, present against all odds. And when she goes out, you know, she finds a place to stay, like a burned out house with a garage, and she stays there overnight. And I often think about that night of her life, that first night. Um, where she is all alone to her knowledge and the community is gone and she has her bag and she has her regrets. And I think that that piece mm -hmm. of, you know, we didn't make a plan of where to meet up um, outside if something happened. Right. We didn't make a plan to find our way back to each other. Um, there wasn't a plan so that everyone had an emergency bag to grab and go with. And I feel that the weight of that on this child, you know, um, this child who was like, I, I made a plan and it was able to cover me. And yeah, just how do you, how do you move through that kind of night? I think this is one of the nights and from here out, mo many of the nights are like this, but these are the ones that just grow her up, right. That take that mm -hmm. final leap of like, whatever she was the morning that she woke up, she is different by that night. And the change happens. It's been happening so slowly and steadily, but then it also, there's these moments when it feels like change is happening instantly. It's like, even though we've seen right. it coming, seen it coming, seen it coming. And when she goes back in, I also really love how she takes on the, the mechanism or the energy of her, the scavengers and she just acts like mm -hmm. she's scavenging through the garden so that she can go dig out the money that she knows is buried there. Um, which, again, 
I'm like, yes, <laughs> have your money buried someplace <laughs> other than the bank. Um, but, you know, she's she keeps being like, oh, how do I not draw attention to myself while I assess and gather as much information as I can? Right. And, and all kinds of horrific things are happening. This is another chapter in which we are reminded that child rape is happening, that murder is happening, that people are being... Um, not not just killed, but tortured that are, you know, it's, there's really something mm-hmm. um, deviant, destructive inside of what's happening here, right? That it's, there's something, it's beyond, it's, it's really like, oh, these people have really unhitched themselves from humanity, from the project of humanity, from yeah. empathy, from care. And I think that's also, you know, one of the ways we are trained to see our enemies is our enemies are unhooked from care. And I always get Mm -hmm. curious here as to how much this is how Lauren sees it, having been inside the gated space. You know, her perspective is, is that, but, and it looks that way. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, this looks horrific. These people are so violent. And how often when I have gone through politicization processes, what I also learned is the violence of those who live inside the gates or the violence of the complicity of living inside the gates and mm. having let things go for so long and how what seems like this hyper-violence is also tied to the resentment and the anger that people have um, at, at having, a, you know, having some people who have been benefiting and felt safe or felt like they had more and that they had for a right to have more. Um, and getting right. away with that. And I think some of what we see right now is tied to that as people just being like, I, I don't care about this humanity mythology. Mm-hmm. I just, y'all have been getting ahead. You have more. Fuck that. It's my turn. And so mm-hmm. I think that I'm like, what she, what Lauren is carrying inside of her earth seed is so valuable in relationship to this lost divisive, violent reality that she's carrying something that says we have a destiny that is beyond all of this small, violent activity. Um, and now, she, so we know like she's got to survive and yeah, this, she gets Harry and Zara. Do you say Zara? How do you say it? We say Zara. Zara. Mm. So she gets Harry and Zara back to her garage. And I know yeah. there's this piece in here where she has an assessment of Harry because Harry, Joanne said she loved Harry, right? Harry was like kind of mm-hmm. Joanne's crush or, you know, romantic interest. And he would not go to Olivar with Joanne because he believed it was a slavery trap. And so that's like the piece of data mm-hmm. that Lauren has about him. And Zara was Richard Moss's youngest wife of the many, right? And so I also think it's interesting. This is one of the things I often train around is that Octavia is like, you don't know who you're going to end up with in the apocalypse. Yeah. And yeah. what are the skills and tools you're developing that allow for you to assess, you know, who's standing there in front of you? what data stands out to you about what they stand for and don't stand for? And what is the data that allows you to be like, I'm going to let you come back to my safe garage or I'm going to let you walk with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Primarily in this chapter, I think it's just familiarity, you know, that 
It's like, we've lost everything. We know each other. Let's go. But and that really stands out to me. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's a, it's amazing when when I was reading this in early days and um, in the community, you know, the community gets attacked when um, she hears somebody calling her name. It was like a bell to me. I was like, it's the most hopeful thing in the whole entire chapter. I mean, it's it's yes. unbelievable, you know, in, in the storytelling that she, how she finds her way to the garage, how she, you know, how she thinks through all of her steps, how, how she, you know, was like, I'm going to walk here. I'm going to stand still now. I'm not going to use a flashlight. I'm not going to, like, she's so in her practice, which means she has yes. repeated this and thought about it a lot. And not because she knew that it would happen. It's just that if it did, she was going to be ready. And mm-hmm. um, and even with all of that, and even with her returning back to the community and having to, to, to you know, just being so brilliant and figuring out, okay, I'm going to scavenge my, my own place and I'm going to go to these places I know and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. And I still was like, is there really nobody? Like, I just remember I was like, there's nobody? Yeah. Like, what? Like, yeah. You know, and it could have been anybody, right? Like, it could have been like, <laughs> you know, somebody that, that was not good. But when it's, yeah. when it's Harry and Zara, even though we didn't really know them so well or, or anything, yes. I was just really happy for anybody. Well, and I um, love the choice. And- yeah. Well, I was going to say, I love the choice that Octavia made to not have it be Corey, to not have it be Curtis, that she mm-hmm. made a choice of not giving her those closer familial people to work with. And she strips us of the romantic connection of Curtis, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of other writers, I think, would have been like, and now she's just by herself with Curtis. And like there's some romantic subtext happening the whole time. And I just love that Octavia's yeah. like, no, she's with these two other no. completely random people who know her. Yes. Yeah. And you often hear when there's disasters, people are almost never with people they know. They like, yes. you know, something happens and it happens wherever you are. And if you're in a grocery store and, you know, you know, it's rare that your whole entire family with you or with you or um, I just think about all of the, the shootings that have happened in the U.S. or, you know, just disasters of an earthquake or anything like um where whoever you're with that's 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 your tribe that's who you're with and um I think I said that earlier and I oftentimes I make decisions based on this is my tribe like you know Mm -hmm. getting in Mm -hmm. elevators and things like that I'm like nope 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 not for me so this is <laughs> I love thinking of you not, going towards an elevator and just being like, "No, those aren't the people I'm going to do no, the That's with. not I'll my tribe. No, I'm not doing that. Next, yeah, round. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do that a lot. I do that a lot, and it is because I, I do, I do believe that anything can happen at any time, and I want to be, you know, as specific as I can be with my steps, even though there's no guarantees at all. And anything. So, um, but you hear these amazing stories where people end up someplace and then they work together and 
they work together through fear and they work together through all of these like dangerous circumstances and they, and they survive. Um, yes. So I think as to how I was thinking when Harry and Zara showed up, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was like, yay. Like she, maybe she has mm-hmm. like a chance to, to have a team. Um, so mm-hmm. that is, uh, I think one other thing about this, this, uh, this chapter is, um, it is, you know, as you said, with the violence, it is so, so, um, I want to use the word unimaginable, but I don't know how much I can use that word because historically, um, in our country and other countries around the world, um, when violence is allowed, it is on a, a spectrum of like just horrific violence. I, I try to think like, why, why, what, like what happened to humans that they just were like, you know, it's not enough for me to kill somebody, but I also must just violate on the highest like level of violation imaginable. And, you know, I was reading about the civil war and I think I was reading about it because of the amount of Confederate soldiers, Confederate Mm -hmm. monuments and they're being pulled down and renaming things and stuff. And I was like, you know, rename fucking everything. Like rename, mm-hmm. like I, I don't need to yes. see no Confederates or no Union soldiers really right now, because when you like start to look at the stories of just how military moved through communities, on both sides, the atrocities are 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 you, your heart can't take it. Like you don't, you know. So there's this, there's this thing where it's like the contradictions are, are so with freedom, justice liberty blah 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 name all of the beautiful things and then defend freedom justice da 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 da, da and then create mm-hmm. um armies to defend but every army has access to violence and violation as they mm-hmm. move through whatever their duty is to fight each other and it you know and i think it's just like leads me to thinking about the policing that's happening in our modern day America and what and how there's no chance, literally there's no chance that America can have policing on a level that we might want that's not attached to violence. And because it never had any other job, like it starts on a (laughs) slave ship and <laughs> you know That's right. and it's had permission the entire time to violate whoever it was in charge of like either saving or or you know getting rid of for some kind of reason or using for some other purpose it's had permission oh. to be violent the entire time and no and no system has ever said put your arms down Put your weapons down. Put down that practice of violence. We actually don't need it anymore. It's literally never been said in the history of our country, not for policing and not for our armies. It's never been said, stand down like this is not needed anymore. And when when you get to Octavia's world, the idea that all humans have that opportunity because there is no policing. There is no nothing saying, you know, you know, it's, it just really is like, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. our opportunity is really amongst us. 
Mm. Our opportunity for something else is really amongst us. It will not come from um, what we call like leadership of government. It will not come from there. It's amongst us. It's literally 100% our job because this country has been around for hundreds of years and not one elected leader has has said, put it down. Stop. Yes. I love not that. One. Well, you know, I love the making the case, right? That's like we've never actually even tried an alternative. It's only ever been meet violence with violence, move through violence, grow through violence, dominate through violence. And when you think about what we celebrate, like the fact that we're pulling down these Confederate statues and renaming Confederate honor, you know, spaces that honor the Confederacy and the Confederacy, I don't know why I never learned this before, but as a formal entity, the Confederacy was only around for like four years. Do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) so right so i you know it's like there's all of slavery (laughs) right there's all of slavery and there's like from the founding to the civil war there's basically a culture that is aligned with that confederacy but in terms of being a formal entity it exists for this the length of one presidency which you know now we're again in that same thing right we have a confederate president and We've been four years under that rule and we've seen what ensues and it may take a civil war to get us out of this presidency, which I think is an interesting Mm -hmm. conundrum that, um, not interesting, terrifying conundrum that I don't hear a ton of conversation around yet that I'm like, this person has been gassing up a body of armed white supremacist, white nationalist militia types and gassing them up, indulging. And now, as you mentioned in our last episode, the entire Republican Party, no one has the um, courage to stand up against that and say, this is actually not a Republican thing. This is something else. So now this fringe, violent fringe, what should be a violent fringe movement has control over Um, one of the major parties in a two-party system here. And so, but you look at what we uplift inside of that, which is violence, right? Those four years of the Confederacy are are honored and deified all over the country, all over Mm -hmm. our culture. And then, you know, it's like, well, why can't we leave that in the past? Well, because it's, we deify that violence. The, the things that we look to in our history and pay the most attention to are the most violent periods in our history. And yes. change always comes along with this kind of violence. And I think it's such a beautiful question, demand that you're bringing up. It's like, what would it actually look like to be in a different practice? And I think it's an interesting thing because they're not inside of something where they can count on a formal policing or a proactive policing Um, But they are in a situation Mm -hmm. where they can call on a paid, you know, a commodity of policing. And it doesn't sound very dependable. It doesn't sound very count honorable. And that's one of the things I think about as we move out of this period, however we move out of it, is what are the skills that all of us need to be developing that replace the systems of policing, that replace the systems of uh, the carceral state? And in replacing in a, and evolving and evolving the way we think of justice with each other. 
And transformative justice, I think, is one of the conversations around that, the pathways around that um, is like, how do we not just restore to conditions that are both always changing and vastly unfair to begin with? How do we not just let ourselves get to restoration of those, but how do we actually push ourselves into, well, what do we have to do in these scenarios? And I mean, so much happens here that it it moves at such a rapid clip um, as change, as Mm -hmm. this kind of chaotic change does, that Lauren shoots someone. And the fact that she's like, I have to shoot this person to be safe and what that does to her hyper empathy and then Lauren has mm-hmm. to see all of these corpses. So when she's back trying to get the money from the garden, she sees Richard Moss. She sees Robin Balter. She sees Russell Dory. She sees Michael Talcott. You know, these are all people that she's known and she sees them dead. There's a dead person on her porch and there, mm-hmm. you know, there's a dead body there. One of the other scavengers tells her this dead person died for all of them, which I also think is a fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, Octavia loves, um, you know, jabbing and sparring with Christianity <laughs> and jabbing and sparring yes. with um, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be righteous? And that you have this, you know, this body of people who together have torn down something they see as an institution that is um, misholding power or hoarding resources and then that one of them dies and it's like, you died for all of us. And there's just, to me, the mm-hmm. echoes of that with her critiques of Christianity and how her brother and father were already practicing those things fascinates me. Um, yes. And But I just think that looking at what Lauren, like the amount of pain and death that she experiences just in this chapter alone for many of us would be um, a debilitating amount of trauma to take in all at one time. And then she's got hyper empathy on top of that. And I just look at this as a way of understanding just how strong she is and how committed she is to what she believes and how we have to, you really do. She's like, this is where you understand the um, survival power of a North star, the survival power of Mm -hmm. destiny. Like this to me is her Harriet Mm -hmm. chapter where she's like, Everything is falling down around me, but I've got the shotgun in my hand. I'm not turning back. I will live. I will survive this. I will find who can survive it with me and I will try to get them out too. And uh, yes, I I think it's a huge chapter. I always, it's also a very cinematic chapter. Like I feel like this Mm -hmm. is one that Octavia wrote by visualizing it. You know, she, she saw this all, um, you know, you feel it, you smell it. You can hear what's happening in this chapter. It's extremely visceral. Um, it's it, it comes yeah. off the page, and and it's uncomfortable to read in a way that I think um, she wants us to be uncomfortable as we read this, and she wants us to really have to contend with where we would be in this crisis. Yeah, and I think you know it's always important to remember when she wrote this book. Um, even as a lot of the issues in it feel so close, close to us right now. And I love that you say this is, um, her Harriet track. I just love that her Harriet chapter. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, because she does, she does, she, from the beginning of it, she is off. Like she doesn't, 
she doesn't like take a lot of time to be be mystified and alarmed. Yeah. Like she's everything emotionally is happening as she's moving. She's not. She's just up. She's up. She's got her bag. She's moving. She's like trying to track Corey and the brothers. She's dealing with what's in front of her. She has to shoot. Exactly. Some, she has to see somebody get shot. She dies. She gets up. She has to shoot somebody. She dies. You know, like she moves, exactly. moves, moves, moves. She goes. She goes away. She goes away. So she's away. She's and then she goes back. Yeah. She goes back again. And, and the calculated um, risk of that return, where she's like, I need to go see if our guns are there. I need to get the money and I need to see if anyone survived. It's so yeah, like logical. Oof. It's so logical. And it's and I think every step of the way, um, even when she has the gun that night, she's like, This gun has seven bullets, hold seven. I shot two. I don't know how many like she's trying to calculating how many bullets she has. She's doing all this thinking. And, um, and feeling simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, you know, like, as you say, moving through, um, super, super violent, traumatic situations, um, that it's sometimes your brain goes in one direction or the other. It's like, yeah. we, we can't, we can't function or we're just going to function and be like, we'll deal with this another day, you know, <laughs> but right. we're going to get out of here and we're going to function and we're going to do these things. I love this also that it brings up this this thing about if you don't have a practice, if you if you haven't thought of anything, if you um, not necessarily living in a state of denial, but haven't like if you don't have a bag that you can pick up and walk out of the house with, you know, it doesn't have to be as dire yeah. as that. You know, there have been floods and hurricanes. <laughs> there have been the, the electricity goes out like, you know, mm-hmm. anything, anything. Do you have like your bag that you can walk out the house and exist for a couple of days uh, handy? And the other thing is, is weapons, you know, like mm-hmm. in this story, you know, there's, they're, they're so important because the level of the playing field is so violent. The way that you scare people is that you have a weapon that they don't want to deal with. When she's coming back towards the community she makes sure that people can see that she has a gun because exactly. she doesn't want people to, to even mess with her at all. Um, yep. And she hopes nobody challenges her by making her have to fire a bullet because she, she doesn't want to waste bullets. And yeah. that is like a level of thinking that I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's such a gift. Wait, wait, what? She's like, all mm-hmm. I have is this knife and this gun. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait, what? So, um, the, the level of, of, Mm, of acceptance of where you are, what time it is, what your, um, possibilities of survival are, if you are prepared, um, is something to, to think about and something to, um, to look at in your, wherever you happen to be in your particular place of living. So that's the perfect pivot into the questions for this episode because they're all about that. Like, you ready or not? I mean, are you ready? Because ready is a state. Um, so the yeah. first question I have for this section is, what is the gift of shock and what are its drawbacks? So I feel like, you know, as you just noted, we watched the shock cover Lauren in a way that, it, you know, it's like, 
it comes over and she just starts to move and she's able to move and almost through the shock, she's able to get herself to safety before she tries to even slow down and be like, okay, what just happened there? Um, and then, mm-hmm. right, at the same time, what are the drawbacks? It works differently for different people. If you are shocked and unprepared, what happens? So just really having that as a conversation. What are the gifts of shock? What does it help us get through? Um, and and then what are the drawbacks? A second question I have, are you prepared to defend yourself? And if so, how? Um, you know, have you been taking martial arts for years? Have you done self-defense programs? Have you learned how to wield any weapons? Have you been to a shooting range? Have you had a conversation with your community about being armed or not? About a nonviolent stance or not? Um, are mm. you prepared to defend yourselves? And if you are, do you have all the things you need in order to do that well? And if you're not, are you prepared to lose yourselves? And I think that, you know, like what, what are you prepared to have happen? So I think sitting with that, um, a question I'd love to hear you also respond to if you, if you are willing is what are the plans you know you need to make with your loved ones, but keep putting off? (laughs) What are the plans you know you need to make? You're like, you know what we need to do? is bury all of our money yonder <laughs> or yeah. whatever else. But do you have stuff like that where you're like, I know that we yeah. have an orientation around this, and but we haven't quite gotten Well, it. it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, because I wonder if, if, if some of the folks listening have done this too. And we definitely made a COVID plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we decided really um, what how we would be in our living environments. And then we decided how we would move. Um, we decided we wouldn't take public transportation. We decided all, we made all of these decisions um, that were really good for us. And we've stayed in a level of communication that, that mm-hmm. like I would say more than what we usually did. Like we don't, throughout the day, there's like, you know, checking in, even if we're not all in the same place. Um, yeah. And we have, we live, we live a little bit like anything could happen. Um, yeah. You know, and part of that is, is, um, is understanding the atmosphere. So we respect the actual atmosphere and the atmosphere that we feel is that um, there is a, there is a call for violence against black and brown people um, yes. of all identities and um, a call for violence as a constant call for violence against all women. And um, that the neglect of children systemically um, through, uh, the, through the way the United States runs just about everything. So we know that, that because there is an ongoing buildup led by the president of the United States of, of, of militia of all kinds, that yes. and defunding of healthcare, um, that that the saying that like all of these people can die and it's okay, is is a yes. huge is a that's a huge um, permission. It's a, a huge letting just letting your hands off of of things and refusing to have a federal act a federal um, action towards the COVID crisis 
and to many of the other crises, like uh, even in California with the fires, it was a question of if there was going to be like a federal response of support as yeah. if somebody mm-hmm. was somebody's fault. All of those things, you know, lead to an atmosphere that anything can happen and at any That's time right. because it is it is too much um, saying for it to happen. And and the, the media, I find, is too slow to and it's yes. still using kind of tr- traditional and when I say media, I mean mainstream media. And um, we know we have lots of, of scholarship and activist media that are mm-hmm. on the ground mm-hmm. and like saying, mm-hmm. yo, this is what's up. But the mainstream media is, is, is falling behind, still trying to keep the language a certain way, still trying to be polite in some ways. Even when telling the truth, they tell it really politely. And it hasn't quite mm-hmm. done to me, for me, like the level of alarming that should meet what's happening um, at all. Right. So, you know, when we have, um, when we have the, you know, one of the parties in the United States really take its hands off of being that party, even if we didn't like the Republican party, they have taken their yes. hands off and they're like, no, we're, we're Trump, we're a Trump party. It has nothing yeah. to do with any, anything we've, we've seen before. So anything can happen at any time. And I really, respect what people have said um, in Rwanda and Bosnia and all of the other mm-hmm. places where big disasters have happened, which is that, you know, there's this kind of sparring and you can mm-hmm. tell and then all, and then one day it happens. And, yes. um, and I, and I say that also to mean like, you know, people don't know when the fires happen, like exactly where they're going to go. And so it's like, you can come home from work and then one day they're like, no, you have to leave. Um, and so are you yes. ready to go? So our, our family has had a lot of conversations about this and we do have some practices, but honestly, we can, we can do even more. Um, yeah. because we do, we, we do love each other deeply and we love our friends and we love our community and we love, um, we love our streets. We love every, we love where we are, and um, and so we do mean to survive. You know where we are. Yes, um, we do. You know, we really do. Um, you know, and we do have all of this community knowledge and community wisdom. And I think, if anything, that's the next level is like to spread out into our community that's near us and around us and. As you know, with our parable path work and our our work that we do and many of us do, we, we're breaking these borders of states and cities and things and really creating like our arms outreach towards each other. Yeah. Because I do think yeah. we are we are the solution to all of this. Yes. So yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, I'll just say one of the things I, I think I've been learning about making those necessary plans with loved ones is having to ask the question and getting that feeling of like, ugh, I know no one wants to talk about this. It's kind of uncool or it's a downer or, you know, you start to feel a little (laughs) like, am I just, am I the worry wart or whatever else, you know, like all these different things can come up. It's an uncomfortable conversation to talk about. And Yet, yeah. I do think a lot of people are getting into learning how to do it, um, learning how to at least initiate it. And I find that in order to get the conversation going, I have to do like, 
I have to be like, hey, can we talk about this? And then say, I don't want to have to hold this by myself. Um, Mm. Like I have to also name that out loud. And I think I Mm. learned that from watching Lauren because I feel like she was holding so much of her belief system inside and cultivating it and preparing. And then when the moment came, it was like, no one is, no one is with her. She doesn't, she doesn't have folks who are like, right, we're all, you know, there's five of us at least in this village, in this town who are like, oh, right, we, we are earth seed. And that felt like Mm -hmm. such an important thing to me that I'm like, I don't want to leave anyone behind or be left behind or not have a plan because I was scared to breach an uncomfortable conversation. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I would say that's, the plans, the things so that I real. still, it's so, it's so hard because I, you know, I think a lot of folks are like with COVID, you know, it has been such a good teacher because it's, uh, are you going to be the COVID police? Are you going to be the one who's out here like, where are masks and y'all are too close and, <laughs> and whatever. And I have a nibbling um, in my life who's just like got an internal system of like, mm, is he six feet away from me? You know, like just has like, it's like energy mm-hmm. of six feet is already in her system. And what makes me excited is so many of the, our nibblings and younger generation for better or worse, but they are learning how to be self-aware and aware of danger and aware of being somewhat prepared for change coming. And I'm like, that Mm -hmm. seems like good news. You know, when I think about what do we need to make sure we don't put off, it's not just thinking about Mm -hmm. our own safety, but thinking about the safety of that younger generation. Um, And how do we make sure that the kids will have what they need in order to survive in really shifting conditions um and also mentally have what they need yes that yes that mentally have what they need and that really makes me think about that since you bring up young people so much because most of this is being designed most of the catastrophe is being designed by like you know some really off-balance elders (laughs) and in our country at this time like, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, 70 plus, you know, and that's not to say mm-hmm. something, anything negative about people who are 70 plus, but it's to really call into action. Like what, when were these people young? What, and what were they doing? And, you know, and what is their, what is their generational root? And I think it's really important for all of us to really hear and uplift the voices of, you know, people who are Lauren's age, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, and to give space for them to be informed, to to give space for them to tell you how they feel and what they see, um, to support their, their movements. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the most powerful movements that are happening are being led by teenagers. Um, so okay. they, they must be supported and they also must be protected. And they must have the space and the room to elevate their messages, even if it feels like way so different. It's not so much like, oh, an elder versus a young person. It's that like who is operating out of the moment and who is like trying to win something like back from when they were a kid that they felt like raises, you know, Mm -hmm. white nationalism. Like it's so unnecessary on the planet always. But the fact that, yeah. like, p- 
people are longing for these, like this confederacy. Okay, you weren't there. Like, what are you? What are you? What are you? Why? Why is your heart, soul, and spirit so in love with this? Like, with this thing, you know? And mm-hmm. and why are you passing mm-hmm. it on and teaching it as if it was like an everlasting rite of of passage or something? Like, it completely, like you said, four year adventure, and like it it didn't work, and now it's gone and it's done. Yes. So I think that 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 you know Octavia. Um, having Lauren Olamina be like 15 years old when she realized the light and the truth of of who she was and what she needed to do um, is a real kind of like, you know, nudge to us to, you know, make sure that we are involved in supporting the voices of young people and to really deal with the fact that there are just some out, out of bounds, like, out of bounds work being executed by people who are doing something that is so old and unnecessary and not needed on the planet. And, um, and that we should aggressively, we should aggressively deal with that. Like we should aggressively say, no, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that big of a question for us. Like it's, it, it is not, (laughs) it blows my um, mind. It never was. But when I look at it, I'm just like, so if you're in your seventies, and you're this hateful, you're fucking up. Like, you're just fucking up. Like, at this point in your life, yes. <laughs> if you are still trying to catch something that was so diabolical when it was started, and you're like, yeah, we just, we still need to keep this. And mm-hmm. you've seen all of mm-hmm. this integration and beauty, and you see the way humanity is expanding and 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 trying to mm-hmm. claw itself back to nature. And you're like, no. We need to have another war. Mm-hmm. Like, you're fucking up. Like, get on out of here. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, and one of the things I love deeply, and maybe this is also one of the things we put off, is that, you know, they talk about that being young is the radical, is a time to be radical. And as you get older, it's a time to become more conservative. And I, mm. I feel like I'm in a constant struggle with that, not, you know, that concept, because I'm like, no. I don't want to give up on older people and I don't want to age into some kind of conservatism (laughs) and I'm not interested in it. And I do think that the flexibility of the young mind, the stretch and capacity, the everything can still available to me of the young mind is so precious and Mm -hmm. engaging young people in imagining the world that they want and trusting the maturity Mm -hmm. of that imagination, trusting the wilderness available still in that imagination feels very important um, because it requires the humility of recognizing that you lose some of that elasticity as you get older, especially if you don't exercise it regularly. And what we Mm. see is in a time like this, folks who are older can have a very hard time adapting and shifting to the changing conditions. And folks who are younger are like, we just wear masks now. Or, you know, like that's our new, that's what is real now. Um, and inside of that, we're still going to figure out how to love and date and protest and do all the things. And that there's something about putting ourselves in right relationship for intergenerational work that requires acknowledging both the imaginative capacity of younger people, but also we have not been doing the work to protect childhood. So we can't now pretend that we have, you know, like we can't, um, 
uh, we can't debilitate young people by not giving them a voice and a say in how they survive mm-hmm. a future that we have left for them by not fighting against the changes as they were happening or not fighting hard enough right. or not playing to win. You know, we play to have some power over each other. This is my biggest complaint, you know, my biggest critique of what I think happens in movements is we pit against each other instead of pitting ourselves against our actual enemies, the ones who have the resources and who are holding power. Mm. And then we find ourselves not not having won anything. You know, like we may have gotten the most grants, the most philanthropy behind our work, and we still mm. didn't actually win and change policy hearts and minds. Um, and then our young people have to live with the results of our limitations, which is, that's how history goes as well. It's so complex um, because it is, you know, I think even that thing about as you, as you get older, maybe you get more conservative, but I think also it has to do with how much you have that as you, as you totally gain a lot of, of things and a lot of wealth that, you know, and I, and I think of currency as multiple things. Um, do you mm-hmm. stay on point? Do you stay, um, and lots of people, lots of people do do this, but I think that that's, you know, um, I remember having a conversation with my mom about, um, you know, when people started to buy, you know, it was so hard to get a loan to buy a house, you know, and then mm. you, throughout the civil rights movement, it broke down a lot of the the barriers towards people getting loans to buy houses, black people getting loans to buy. So then you would get, then she's like, yeah, then you got your house and then you got your car and then you were a little bit older and you had kids. And she's like, so you, you know, you're not going to be out in the streets the way you were. So you, you pivot to something else. Um, I mean, it wasn't my mom's experience, but she said it's, it's a complex issue of how do you negotiate being a part of a structure of society that isn't balanced, um, that you fought for to mm. try to balance it, but it, ne- it never quite balanced. And what do you hold That's on right. to? What is, you know, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough place to be, but, um, mm. Mm. but I definitely, yeah. And I definitely want to, you know, make sure that, um, when I'm look when I'm saying about the, uh, country being run by these, these people who, are 70 plus and like really off balance that um, I'm not showing any disrespect to actual wonderful elders who are doing <laughs> so much uh-huh. beautiful work and who have left us um, with a legacy of information and medicine and everything else. Oh. I want to make sure that is really, really clear. Yes. Well, I yeah. think that you're making a distinction between the Darth Vader's and the Yoda's. Like everybody here is old. <laughs> Some <laughs> are still yeah. warriors for the force that connects us all, and there some have turned to the dark side. And that's just a whole nother they science have. fiction thing. But it just helps sometimes <laughs> to notice, like right now, Darth <laughs> Vader is all up in in charge, and we need to like figure out how to bring the force back into the light. Um, some a few more questions before we go. Where are your resources? And by that, I mean, what resources will you actually be able to access in the condition of systemic failure? So do you have something buried? Do you have stuff under the mattress? Do you have gold bars? Do you have seeds? What do you even think of as your resources? 
but where are your resources? What are, where are they? Do you have community around where these resources are that people all together have a sense of where they'll be able to go to access things? Um, resources include the relationships that we have. So where are your resources? And how are you trained to respond to crisis? How are you trained to respond to crisis? Both, I think it's great to ask, how have you been trained by society? Which I think a lot of it is like, stay still, stay in your house, (laughs) you know, do what we tell you, (laughs) which may or may not actually be in your safety. Mm -hmm. And now we're in an interesting period of history where it's like, we're post-Katrina, we're post-9-11, we're post a lot of things. And we've heard what happens when we listen to the instructions and the instructions are not actually... Um, the right ones, or they don't actually keep us alive. And COVID is just the latest experience of that. So how are you training yourself and your community and your children to respond to crisis? Um, Mm. And then the last question I have here is, are we ready for the moment of change? Are we ready for the moment of change? And if not, what do you need to do to get ready? And we want you to be ready. And we want the answer to that to be a resounding, I'm scared, but yes, (laughs) you know, I've got Mm -hmm. my bag, I've got my relationships, I know where the things are, like, I have a sense that change is inevitable, and that it is a divine force, and that in this moment, change is necessary, and yeah, I'm ready to move towards destiny. Um, But that's a self-assessment, and I think it's one that we all need to be in, I think, um, you know, Toshi and I are in this conversation because we are wanting to be ready. <laughs> and we want all all the people we love to be ready. Ashe. Oh. That's it right there. Um, all right. This book just keeps going. It keeps getting better and better. And we are over some major humps. And um, what's ahead of us now is the is a big journey. So sort of be pivoting in your mind. We are out of the container and onto the journey and uh, come with us. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We are produced by Kat Aaron and our show art is by Krista Franklin. A lot of our very cool um, uh, work that was done with that art to make other graphics is done by our friend B. Steadwell. Yes, and the music, Always See the Stars, is written and performed by Toshi Regan. And There is a New World Coming is written by Bernice Johnson Regan with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, both based on Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, um, performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera with lead vocals by Shana Smalls. And I'm going to see if I can figure out who wrote that Smoke and Ashes song uh, that I sang at the beginning because I'm like I it's just been going around <laughs> in every space that I've been in this past year or so um, but I'm like hmm did someone I know write it is someone we can find write it um, I bet somebody knows yeah so then you can find us on Twitter at O Parables sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash O Parables Um, we really appreciate the support. It's helping us think even longer term about all the things of Octavius we might be able to cover with y'all. So loving you, um, have a beautiful week and find your people, find your resources, get ready. So be it. See to it.
so be it, see to it.